1: Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Tonight we are going to play our interview with Red Sox beat writer from MassLive.com, Chris Catillo. However, the interview was done by our YouTube team, which you can find also on the Bastards of Boston YouTube page. So search us out on there. That's a separate crew, separate content, and they are cranking out uh, videos left and right. But they did the Chris Cotillo interview, so we are going to play that for you right now. Derek McGuire and Aiden McAllister were the hosts for that video. Hope you enjoy it.
2: Hello and welcome to the Bastards of Boston Baseball YouTube channel. My name is Derek McGuire and I'm here with Aiden McAllister. Tonight we are joined by special guest Chris Catillo, not Catillo, Catillo. Red Sox beat writer for Mass Live. So how are you doing, Chris?
3: I'm good. It's nice being, you know, I don't know really anything about your podcast, but I already know it's better than Section 10. So uh, it's a good start.
2: Yes, we will uh, take any uh, kind of digs on it. so on them, I guess. I mean, they are technically our competition, even though they don't really have anything on YouTube yet. But our podcast on Apple Podcast definitely does have competition with them. So I want to throw it to Aiden. What's our first topic of the day?
0: Uh, Chris, we just kind of want to, you know, Go over the lockout like uh when do you think like the like like what's the timeline with this like when's it going to end or and like kind of like what are the the expectations of the owners and the players are going to agree upon that you think
3: you know, that's the million dollar billion dollar question you know i think it's just it's so unclear exactly when things are going to be able to you know come back i think the whole baseball world wants things to move quickly but as evan Drellick reported in the athletic yesterday or today um, there has been no progress. You know, they met, in the sides met in Texas right before the CBA uh, expired in December, and now uh, there has not been much movement for the last few weeks, the last few um, days. So uh it looks like they're gonna go back to talking sometime in january and the hope for everybody is that it won't be delayed spring training won't be delayed and they'll be able to iron something out in the middle of february or before everybody's supposed to report to camp so you know i think at the end of the day that's kind of my prediction that you know we won't get to the point where games are lost or even spring training time is lost just because i don't think the game can afford that after having a shortened season just two years ago with all the starts and stops um, But right now, there's not been a lot of progress. I think that's a little scary.
2: Yes, I, there was a big kind of loss money-wise uh, f- financially uh, without having fans in 2020. Um, that's kind of a big reason I don't think why they'll want to keep it going too long. You know, there's a even if you lose spring training games, there's a loss of revenue right there. Just because not having fans and even in a spring training stadium, you know, you do lose some money from that. Uh, We do want to move on to our next topic, though the uh, kind of current state of the farm, kind of a quick overview of the farm system. You know, how do you see the farm system? Has it grown? Has it not grown? You know, what's your take on it?
3: Yeah, I think it's just gotten deeper, you know, since Heimbloom has been here. Um, You know, I think that that's been a really clear. message and goal of his is just to add a ton of depth to that farm system. And uh, he's done that through a lot of trades. You know, we saw one of them a couple weeks ago where, you know, yes, Jackie Bradley and Hunter Renfro are the guys that grab headlines in that move. But Alex Pinellas and David Hamilton are probably the real impetus behind why the Red Sox made the trade. We've seen this time and time again, whether it's, you know, Nick Pavetta, who is, you know, not really a prospect, He had a major experience at the time, but him and Connor Seabold or Hudson Potts and Jason Rosario in exchange for um, Mitch Moreland to San Diego, or whether it be, you know, getting Winkowski and, uh, Cordero and a couple of those other players in the Benatendi trade for Dugo, Wong, um, and obviously Jeter Downs for Mookie, um, a lot of different deals that have really focused on, you know, adding to that farm system and making it deep. Now, I think they're at the point now where, you know, they're arguably a top 10 farm system in the game, you know, maybe a little higher, maybe a little lower, depending on individual rankings, but, um, they, have a lot of guys that they can deal you know they have a lot of surpluses in certain areas they have guys that are going to be attractive to other teams and i think when they look at this market after the lockout ends and they want to add relievers or add outfielders or whatever it may be you know they can deal from a position of strength because um you know instead of having 15 players that teams are interested in maybe now they have 30. And that speaks to you know not just you know the good trades that they've made and adding those types of guys but also you know guys that they've had you know either be through um, the draft or minor league for agency, some of those guys have stepped up, you know, a guy like Brandon Walter, who was a 26th round pick is all of a sudden now a top 20 prospect in the system. So, you know, some of those scouting gems are starting to shine. And um, you know, there's the high end too, whether it be, you know, Marcelo or whether it be Casas or whether it be, Um, Nick York, some of these guys who are really high pedigree picks. Um, The farm system's in a better spot than it's been in a while. You know, obviously, I think people get really excited about those types of rankings. and people get too protective of those players at the end of the day, you know, it's all about winning championships and being successful at the major league level. And, you know, the Red Sox at the end of the day came, you know, six wins away from doing that this year and still have a lot of young talent. So I think
0: organizationally, they're in a really good spot. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with you, Chris. I'm sure a lot of the people, a lot of the Red Sox fans do agree with you. We kind of want to roll into the next question kind of along that the state of the farm and uh like who who do you think is one prospect that that's not named Tristan Cassis or has made their MLB debut that was that's going to contribute to the Red Sox success in 2022 I think for me personally I think it's going to be Jeter Downs just for infield depth corner infield depth um maybe third base if you know someone gets banged up or something so like we just kind of want to throw it to you and who do you think is going to help out?
3: Yeah, I think, you know, the way the things are really, you know, Jeter Downs is a good one. And that was one that I was thinking of. Um, You know, there's a few guys in in the bullpen mix, I think, that um, are are kind of interesting. You know, Durbin Feltman, we've been hearing for a while. You know, he had a lot of hype when he first came up. Um, for a lot of reasons that people thought he was gonna be, you know, part of that team late late in the year, even. Um, and then you know, he struggled and, and kind of went through the the peaks and valleys of Pro ball. And now um you know, he reached triple A last year and has been a guy that um you know is gonna be in the conversation, if not to make the team out of spring training, then to you know contribute at some point. So I think he's one guy if we look at pitchers. Um, you know, I think their their upper level pitching talent took a hit last year just because Mata and Ward both had Tommy John, a bunch of other guys. Um, dealt with injuries downs is a good one um you know obviously a few of the guys that you would say naturally have already made their major league debuts seabold cutter crawford um obviously duran so um you know they have kind of that that good uh you know six seven guys that could be ready uh, one guy that people don't remember that was on the team last year and he was hurt for a lot of it is Eduard Bazardo, who i think is a really interesting guy that Um, could help them in the bullpen this year, too. I know he did make his major league debut, so not necessarily in the category. But, no, they do have a handful of guys that they could help.
2: Yes, I actually kind of want to throw kind of a little bit uh, surprise name in there. If the Red Sox are kind of in some desperate need for bullpen help come near uh, kind of August, September – and this guy's pitched really good between Double A AA and Triple this year. Triple A this year as a starter. You could see Bello, Brian Bello, potentially make a jump to the big leagues as a bullpen piece. We've seen MLB teams do it all the time with top prospects. Bring them up after the trade deadline and starters and throw them in the bullpen. Bello has the stuff that could play in the bullpen. He can top out at he tops out at a hundred out of the as a, as a starting pitcher. So you can throw him back in that bullpen with a slider, good slider and changeup. You know that could uh, play very well. So we're going to kind of uh, move into our next topic right here, which is uh, one acquisition we would all like to see for uh, the Red Sox next year. I have an interesting one, kind of along similar lines. Uh, Carlos Martinez is a free agent. Could be one of those high blue mess moves, this, you know, under the radar, you know, has some injuries, struggled the last two years. But you look at his track record from 2015 to 2019 as a starter and a reliever. I mean, it could be interesting. I don't know what the market is on him, but it could be interesting. Uh, who would you have, Chris, as your one acquisition if you could only make one?
3: Yeah, I think that they. You know, I was looking at, and we're doing a series at Mass Live, where you know, really reviewing kind of the different aspects of the roster and seeing the weaknesses. I kind of look at the starting rotation and think they're probably not going to do much more. You know, it's a, it's a little bit. um Mid rotation heavy. There's a lot of guys, but not a lot of really great guys or or guys you can rely on. But the bullpen to me right now is a complete mess. You know, we're assuming, I guess, Garrett Whitlock's going to be the closer. And I guess if things shape up right now, probably Tanner Houck's a back end guy as well. You don't know where you're going to get out of Matt Barnes, Brian is you know, good at times, bad at times. Uh, same with Darwinson Hernandez, same with Josh Taylor, you know, who is Austin Davis? What is he going to do? What is Salamura going to do? There's just a lot of question marks there, and I think they need to really shore that up. Um, you know, in terms of acquisitions, I think there's a few different guys. You know, Kenley Jansen still available as a free agent. That's the top guy who's out there. Um, you know, I'm not sure if they're interested in him or not. Uh, and then some trade candidates, whether it be, you know, Michael Fulmer um, is, is one guy who is definitely out there um you know craig kimbrell i don't know if they want to do a reunion with him and pay him everything he's owed next year but just one of those high-end relievers not going to give you a specific name uh because you know there's there's so many still out there but one of those high-end guys to really shore up your bullpen um and then maybe some somebody like bringing robles back or bringing Ottavino back i still think they do need to add you know two or three big league relievers and really shore up that relief group
0: yeah, I agree. I was kind of going toward, for like, my pick, it was going to be either bullpen help or honestly breaking the bank and getting a guy like Trevor Story. Um, I think, you know, defensively, we have statistically one of the worst infield def- like de- like defenses in the league. Um, so I think with Renfro leaving, we kind of lost uh, the slugging right-handed bat. And I think Trevor Story's swing and his launch angle and all those numbers kind of play into Fenway Park. And it'd be kind of cool to see him either play second or short, depending on what they want to do with Bogarts. Um, so I mean like Trevor story or the bullpen help was, was my pick. Yeah. And obviously the big rumors are about,
3: you know, them going after one of those big shortstops. I don't really see it personally, you know, Correa or story. I think that, um, you know, they're just, they really, first of all, you don't want to piss off Bogart and move them off shortstop before a walk year. Um, and, and so I think that, uh, you know, that's why I don't think it's going to happen and, and I think they're going to get out but, um, you know, if you're, my thing with that is if you're going to sign story, uh, might as well go all-in and sign Correa as a better player overall.
2: Yeah, if you do sign a shortstop, I mean, if they're going to sign a shortstop, I wouldn't be surprised if they just went and got Jose Iglesias, brought him back. Fit really well with the team, gelled really well. We saw he could play second base last year, and he does have a history of being really good defensively, and we know our infield defense last year was the worst in the league. So uh, next up would be for you, Chris, what is your favorite Red Sox moment while covering the team?
3: um you know it's tough I think there's there's been a lot I started in the middle of 2018 so there's been a lot of uh you know ups and downs obviously for the team during that time and um you know 2018 playoff run was was really cool but I think you know this year I think just generally the appreciation of seeing Fenway back to you know full capacity and and how loud it was in the ALCS and the ALDS the wild card game um you know not a specific moment but just kind of taking it in and being like, okay, I was one of the, you know, 50 people in this empty ballpark last year. And now, um, you know, some people would say like, oh, that's really cool. You get to do that. You get to be in that experience. And that's, I guess in a way, but it was super depressing. So, um, you know, to I, I tweeted when I was leaving the ballpark for the last time in 2020, you know, so that's that wraps up the coverage for Fenway for this year, next time we're here, I hope you guys all will be too. And, you know, is that, you know, progressed to a point where it was fall in October, it it was really cool to see. So that was, you know, uh, people who have been almost meaningless game, but in 2018, uh, Atlanta, uh, Labor Day uh, week, uh, Brandon Phillips with the uh, big home run in his hometown. That was just such like a, you know, he comes up, makes his debut, and just so unbelievably ridiculous. And to me, that just showed like, all right, this Red Sox team could put, you know, the three of us out there, and we'd find a way to like, you know, produce. Um, They just were that dominant and that good. And, that was a really cool like you know the game went way too long almost almost missed my flight all because of brandon phillips with like one of his two hits in a red Sox uniform so um I that was
0: that was nuts no i was i was at a game too chris um I'm from the atlanta area so i mean i get to always go to the Sox games whenever they come to atlanta but that was a cool moment for for sure um and truest or sun trust whatever it's called now is it's underrated, I think. I like that place. A lot of people don't, but it's uh, it's, it's pretty cool. And the battery is very cool, too. Battery's cool. I I do miss uh, Turner Field, though, because I do miss, like, I feel like Truist is kind of, like, you know, more small. But it's definitely, like, yeah. cool around the place. Like, the Smyrna town is really cool. It's It kind of fits the whole, um, like, for all the season ticket holders because they're all kind of from that kind of area. But yeah, um, next topic um, is if you were a commissioner for a day, what rule would you change? And for me, go ahead you can go first. I was just going to say, I think, you know, nothing, I'm not one of these,
3: you know, really like the uh, hard ass on certain rule guys. Like I just, I'm not huge on, I don't really care either way on banning shifts. I, I don't, um, you know, universal DH, I think is probably good for everybody. Uh, three batter minimum, whatever, just getting the pace of play better. I think is the most important thing to face at the game. You know, I think, if you're a fan that goes one day out of the year you know a four-hour game is cool and you get to be there experience fenway and see you know an extra innings game that's great but for the diehard fans that are watching this every day and watching you know games that go 3 30 or four hours it's just too much and it's just there's not there's not enough action um especially with you know the amount of strikeouts the amount of homers the amount of walks and those outcomes i think they've got to find a way um and i think there's going to be you know creative ways i really do like the runner on second and uh extra innings i never thought i would just because it seems so like sacrilegious when i proposed it but um there is urgency immediately uh it does really move things around along and um it's it's hard to write those games because i got to write a game story that goes up, you know immediately after and um you, when there's a guy on second you know one swing could just be it uh, but i think that's a really good rule i'd stick with that one and, and maybe even make it that you know you get a runner on second and a tenth and then you get a runner on first and second um and the 11th and just you know have no chance of getting to the 13th inning because uh, over a course of 162 games you know enough is enough really
0: mm-hmm. no yeah i i I focused more on not so much like the gameplay but i kind of thought um kind of doing like what the nba and the nfl do, uh, does and like um i kind of want to like trade draft picks and like be able to trade draft picks so like and maybe not trade draft picks like, you know, eight, 10 years on the line, because a lot of the you know draft picks or draft prospects then aren't even in high school or college yet. They're still like in middle school, elementary school. So I would do like maybe a cap, like max of a, a prospect three years down the road. So like the Red Sox could trade a 2024, 2025 draft pick to get somebody in return. But I think like that would kind of change the, the outlook on some things and also kind of change the way, how Scott Borsh was talking about the whole tanking thing. I think that would kind of change the, the aspects of that too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh,
2: yeah. I definitely wanted to add. If my only gripe at that is if Red Sox want to trade, I don't. Let's just say Devers and the team tries giving them like five first round draft picks back. Is like it's kind of weird because the the uh, player to draft pick uh, value wise. We're not going to be really sure because they've never been traded before. But if it was like something where you have a draft pick, four draft picks, like first round pick being traded for a second and third round pick, like I wouldn't be against that at all. Just it adds another layer to the draft too. And if a team wants to move up and get a guy, they would be allowed to do that. My rule change would be along the lines of, it's a little bit complex, but the, uh, the NHL has a rule where they hit limit because the NHL team signed so many bad long-term contracts, and I'm kind of fearing this is where the MLB is going to go, whereas the MLB might have to step in, is you could limit the amount of years on contracts. The NHL has a seven-year limit, and if that player's on your team, it's an eight-year limit. And then they also have a salary, like a cap, a percentage lock, which is 20%. So a one-player's contract can't take up 20% salary cap if I'm the MLB. I'd lower it to 18%, so and that'd be the luxury tax. So I think the luxury tax is like 205 or something like that. So 18% of that's 36.9 million. So no one can basically make 37 million or more when you sign them to a new contract. And it can't at a maximum of seven years unless they're on your team, which is eight years. I think that kind of. And also, too, for a team like Tampa, for instance, if they have – like a guy like Wander Franco, they want to keep them. They can still offer one extra year than anyone else can, so there's also that added incentive for uh, small market teams to be able to bid more. So I think our uh, next topic is – we kind of touched on it a little bit, but what is your favorite park to go to that's not Fenway?
3: Um, Maya, I always – I've never been to San Francisco or Pittsburgh, which are like the two that everybody says. the Sox are playing in Pittsburgh next year, so – hopefully I'll be able to do that but mine is uh course Field in Denver I think it's just kind of an amazing spot to watch a game you know you go it's kind of like a good downtown location it's all brick um, you get up on the rooftop and uh it's just you know the rooftop and right field this huge tall structure and you look out in the Rocky Mountains or everywhere it's just like a beautiful scene around it um and their attendance is actually usually pretty good there and, and you know obviously they've they haven't been the best organization, but um, people still come out just because I think the ballpark is, is so good, so underrated, so that's my pick. Dodger Stadium's also in the mix. You know, Camden Yards never disappoints. Um, you know, I went to Wrigley for a few innings this year while we were at Soxford Chicago to play the White Sox. I went for an afternoon game there, and that was cool. Um, but, yeah, Coors, if I had to give you one.
0: Cool. Well, I think right. we're going to – go ahead, Derek.
2: All right, no, so we are probably uh, – so that's kind of going to wrap up all of our topics. But I know we uh, the fans have some questions, so I want to throw it over to Aiden. What is the first fan question that we have?
0: Um, we have a fan who asked if you would rather have Suzuki or Schwarber back to sign. I think uh,
3: Suzuki is more uh, natural of a fit on the roster because he's a right-handed bat, and Schwarber is you know positionless. But I, I just there's just this intangible where you know, and you guys saw it, Schwarber fit the red sox clubhouse he fit the city of boston he fit the team you know while he might not have fit positionally just as a personality and everything so well he became a leader right away um he changed the whole complexion of the lineup and i think that they you know just with all the intangibles i think that he was just the perfect fit and he's a guy that i could see becoming a real fan favorite for years to come in boston so um i would say that's a tough question i'd go with warmer
0: all right yeah i'm on your side too i think losing the Losing Renfro and the righty bats kind of, kind of big loss. But I think you know, like you said, Schwarber in the clubhouse. It's I'd rather have Schwarber back.
2: I was about to say I think that's kind of the verdict. I'm a Suzuki guy, but uh, I'm not against Schwarber. I mean, if they brought him back, I wouldn't be upset at all. But I'm a little bit on the I favor Suzuki also too. I think it would be a little bit cheaper personally. I mean, you kind of. May, I don't know how much Schwerberg. It might not be that much cheaper, but I would think it would be a little bit cheaper. Give the Sox a little bit more flexibility financially. Um, so our second fan question is: So what are the Red Sox doing to upgrade their defense, or at least deal with their defense? Specifically, the infield defense, as stated earlier, it is the worst infield defense in the big leagues. So what kind of plans might might they have?
3: Well, you know, I think we already saw that shocking trade was a huge um, start to that process. You know, Hunter Renfro, people think he's a great defender because of his arm. And, you know, he wowed everybody with his arm. And at the beginning of the year, he was a super defender out there. And he ended up leading the league in twelve error with twelve errors. The next highest outfielder was Tyler O'Neill with nine. You know, while there was the big plays. There was a lot of errors. There was a lot of, you know, throwing in the wrong base. There was a lot of missed fly balls and kind of easy ones. So, um, you know, I, I think Renfro is, you know, maybe an average uh, to above average. If you take the highs and the lows outfielder, and Jackie Bradley Jr. by all accounts is still elite. So I think that that was one piece of it. And, you know, TK Hernandez showed that he can be elite. Verdugo could be serviceable out there. In terms of the infield, um, you know, they're going to have to move Xander Bogarts off shortstop at some point. That's a conversation that, like I said, not going to be easy to have uh, this year heading into you know what is probably going to be a walk year for him, um, but that is going to be really the key. Um, and so that's a that's a tough decision. You know, I think they still think Devers can play third. Um, the surprise I think to them, and this is one thing that. Um, you know, Mike Cloud, his future is Bobby Dahlbeck being at first base and being, you know, really a liability there for most of the season. He improved by the end. I think if he is better uh, defensively, you know, shows signs of spring training the early part of the season, that's gonna be more important to the Red Sox than to how he's hitting. Um, you know, I think it's that goes, you know, under not talked about enough because of his power and the highs and lows of the plate, but he was the worst defensive first baseman in terms of defensive run saved for. But, you know, most of the year, if not the entire year, Um, and and he did get better at the end. But I I think that they were a little bit disappointed in that as a team.
0: And then our last question, our last name question is just about you, like, why do you like baseball? Um, you know, I think when you're, you know, eight, nine years old in 2004 and
3: growing up in central Massachusetts, I think you're kind of uh you're born into it you know my dad my grandparents all that type of stuff all loved it and going to Fenway was my favorite thing as a kid so um you know the roles changed a little bit it's a little different you know now I'm not rooting for the Red Sox I root for two and a half two two hour 45 minute games and uh you know good stories to write but it's all it's all you know just it's still special to walk in there every day and like I said seeing the place the way it was in uh October and seeing the way it was and you know certain games just kind of reminds you like this is something that you know, it's more than just the game on the field. It brings people together and all that type of stuff. We've seen it time and time again, whether it be in 2013 or um, you know at different times in history. And um, it's uh, it's it's cool. Like to call that place my office every day, and that's that's really the best part of it for me.
0: Awesome.
2: Awesome. Yep. Uh, I think uh, we've kind of covered all our bases here. I think I think we I don't think we have much else to ask. Uh, thanks for coming on. Obviously, as uh, that'll wrap it up. Um, Well, make sure to uh, leave your uh, Twitter down in the description, obviously. And uh, if you want anything else left down there, uh, just let us know. Um, Make sure to like, subscribe, uh, comment, share this video. Check out the Bastards of Boston Baseball podcast on the Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For Aiden McAllister and Chris Cotillo, I'm Derek McGuire, and we'll see you next time.